The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, today our show is about the Patriot Act. And, you know, I remember when we talked about this before, especially in 2005, when Congress was talking about reauthorizing or not reauthorizing the Patriot Act. And now this is coming up again in Congress. And there's a lot of things that people really don't know. It's not very transparent about the Patriot Act. And I, we have a wonderful guest today. I'm, I'm really thrilled. I just recently, I, I read this wonderful article called The Unpatriotic Act 10 Years Later. And this was an article by Stephen Rohde, who is chair of the ACLU Foundation of Southern California, and he is also an attorney and a partner. And, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him, and he has several books. But I thought I immediately, when I read that article, I cut it out and I said, oh my gosh, this is something we have to talk about again. It's been a, a real passion of mine to to think about how this needs to be changed and it looks like this we have a, an expert to tell us about it so we're so thrilled so let me tell you a little bit about uh steven Rohde. he is an attorney and a writer in los angeles he specializes in constitutional law and intellectual property including the first amendment entertainment book publishing defamation invasion of privacy and even information privacy and I get a kick out of it because he's a graduate of Northwestern University where that's Chicago, which I'm originally a Chicago girl. So we got something in common that way, besides our, our concerns about the Patriot Act. And he has written extensively and lectured and he's been on the radio and he's been on TV and he, he's just really an expert, not only in the First Amendment, but also in and censorship and media regulation and pornography. Of course, these are all First Amendment as well and the Internet. He is the author of American Words of Freedom and Freedom of Assembly and co-author of Foundations of Freedom. He has served as the president of the American Civil Liberties Union of Southern California and chair of the ACLU Foundation of Southern California. And he's written for the Los Angeles Times, the Daily Journal, where I saw the article, the California Lawyer Magazine, Los Angeles Lawyer Magazine, and many other publications. And he's appeared on TV, radio, and for several years, he was named Super Lawyer by the Los Angeles Magazine, which means that he is respected not only by his peers, but by judges and others. And we're just so thrilled to have you with us, Steve. Well, thank you so much. I've... Uh 
just enjoyed listening to this uh, wonderful introduction. <laughs> it's a real pleasure, and I'm so uh, glad uh, that you devote time and attention to these important issues of privacy and individual rights. Yes, and this is, you know, we I think we have the only radio show in the entire nation that's solely dedicated to these kinds of issues. In fact, we got a, in, 19, in 2005, when we started our show, we got an award from the International Association of Privacy Professionals for innovation. <laughs> so now it's not so innovative. It's, you know, six years later, but we're still trying to get the word out. And thank God we have a wonderful expert like you to talk about this. So let's talk briefly about the history leading up to the drafting and the passage of the Patriot back, uh, Patriot Act back in 2001. Right. Uh, I think it's important for folks to try to transport themselves back uh, 10 years ago to recall the setting and the climate uh, in which the Patriot Act uh, arose. Uh, none of us will forget uh, 9-11 and the horrific uh, events and attacks and tragedies uh, of that uh, day. But the United States had a choice at that moment. Uh, we could have pursued um, the notion that these were criminals, that they had uh, violated the law. We could have embraced the United Nations. We could have lifted up the rule of law, uh, pursued these individuals, and brought them to justice. Or we could have used 9-11 uh, as a platform to advance uh, another kind of foreign policy and domestic policy uh, of expansionism, of executive authority, of greater government uh, control. And uh, unfortunately, in many ways, the Bush administration took that second course the USA Patriot Act uh, was immediately introduced by John Ashcroft, then uh, Attorney General. Now, many of the provisions had been offered to Congress previously and had been rejected because of their serious privacy uh, implications and uh, deep concerns about civil liberties. But in the wake of 9-11, uh, in the fear and even hysteria of 9-11, combined with the anthrax scare then currently uh, being felt in Washington, uh, on October 26, the Patriot Act was passed. And it was passed by a 96-1 to 1, uh, vote. And in my book, uh, when they write the latest profiles in Courage, uh, Senator Russ Feingold of Wisconsin, a now former senator, was the one vote. And uh, he spoke and wrote at the time, warning us uh, about the Patriot Act and what might come to pass. Uh, and in my view, tragically, much of his uh, warnings uh, regarding privacy and civil liberties uh, have come to pass. Yeah, he talked about the imbalance, you know, that, uh, you know, they're looking, they're, they took the fear that you're talking about, and they said, you must have security, and in the name of security, we're going to have the secrecy. And so, you know, the the privacy or the, the right to 
have some control of your personal information and the right to have some freedom of from invasion of privacy um, kind of was thrown on the wayside in, in, in because of the need for, quote, security and safety. And so that's what they were balancing, right? The right. Pa- privacy versus security. But you don't necessarily have to have you don't have to give up privacy to have security, do you? That's right, and I and I hope we'll expand on that theme uh, in this conversation. What uh, Russ Feingold said at the time, and what I've written and been speaking about for ten years, is to realize that what uh, we went through and are going through is not unprecedented uh, in American history. Tragically, uh, there have been dark chapters in American history, when we've lost our way as far as civil liberties uh, are concerned, uh, the Alien and Sedition Acts during the John Adams administration were passed, jailing newspaper men and aliens, foreigners, uh, without charges, without uh, lawyers, uh, in a time when uh, war with France uh, was feared. Uh, we come down to uh, Lincoln, a great president, suspending the writ of habeas corpus during the Civil War because he feared for the nation and he was willing to jettison uh, the great writ of habeas corpus, the right of any person to be brought before a court when they believe they're being illegally held. Uh, we come down to the Red Scare during World War One when uh, J. Edgar Hoover and uh, uh, Attorney General Mitchell Palmer uh, swept up people without charges, without hearings. Uh, and then down into World War II, the internment of Japanese Americans uh, without hearings, without uh, individualized suspicion, sent off to internment camps. Uh, and we have other episodes in the McCarthy era, uh, COINTELPRO, the infiltration of Martin Luther King's organization and anti-war groups. Uh, so we know as a people and as a history that when there is fear, when there is crisis, real or imagined, foreign or domestic, uh, sometimes we lose our way. And we should learn from those lessons rather than repeating them and unfortunately, we ourselves are living uh, through such a period, and I'm deeply concerned that most Americans uh, do not appreciate, uh, unless they are listening to your radio show every week, uh, to other programs, to reading deeply, um, there's a story of the frog. Uh, if you throw a frog into a boiling pot of water, it will jump out immediately to save itself. But you put a frog in a tepid uh, pot of water and you slowly turn up the heat, ever so slowly that frog will boil to death. And in many ways, when it comes to individual rights, uh, the American people do not perceive uh, what is happening around them. And because of secrecy, uh, it is very difficult for those of us interested in these issues uh, to bring it to light. You know, that's the point, is that it's not that we're, we're all asleep. It's more like it's not transparent. It's very secret. You know, we're not supposed to have any 
secret databases, for example, yet yet government can buy these secret databases from LexisNexis and Axiom and all these companies, you know? <laughs> so we can have this, what they call the total quality awareness or the total awareness, even without total awareness. So that's the problem is that you you know about this, but most people don't have a clue. It's, it is secret. It is not transparent. You know, even us talking about it, there's a lot that we don't know. You know, I... I get emails from Homeland Security Privacy Commission, uh, Privacy Committee, and I look at all these things that they're doing. And half the stuff, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think is very uh, transparent at all. You know, I don't really know what's going on. Right. And so you and I are worried about it. And you probably know, you obviously know a lot more than I do. But even for you, I'm sure a lot of the stuff that's going on is totally secret, right? Well, exactly. And when groups like uh, the ACLU and the... Uh... Uh, privacy organizations and the Frontier Foundation and others try to bring lawsuits, the courts, by and large, have put up what is called the state secrets doctrine and state secrets privilege blocking uh, lawsuits, which would bring to light uh, a lot of this information, and those lawsuits have been uh, dismissed. Uh, The scope of the problem, I think, uh, may begin uh, to sink in for listeners when you realize that the the National Security Agency, the NSA, is one of the vast, most vast federal agencies that is, as we speak, uh, constantly with uh, 24-7 robotic um, information gathering and, and data mining uh, information on a scale that I don't think uh, any of us can get our minds around. They are able to intercept and store 1.7 billion, that's with a B, billion emails, phone calls, and other communications. And this brings up, I'm sure, something you've talked about before, which is the trade off that we all love our mobile smartphones and our GPS location tracking and search engines and computers and Wi-Fi and sitting in Starbucks and... And social networks. Now social networks, etc. And I don't think people have spent enough time realizing that as they take advantage of technology, technology can be used against them. And that the very uh, ether into which these messages pass, uh, both electronically, uh, digitally, and otherwise, is a minefield for data collection by the government, and the Patriot Act broadened the power of the government uh, to collect that information and to store it. Yes. So, so, oh gosh, so what do we do? I mean, basically, what do we do? I mean, we, I think it's like this overwhelming thing, like, okay, so they're, they're looking at our, our emails, they're, they're listening to our phone calls. Um, what do we do? Well, as we approach what to do, I do want listeners to realize that this is not two wacko privacy uh, geeks uh, <laughs> talking about this, you know, as some kind of fetish. Uh, the Inspector General of the Department of Justice has uh, so far issued five damning audit reports 
that have substantiated thousands of violations of law and policy by uh, the Justice Department. Fortunately, we have inspector generals at the Justice Department uh, and other federal agencies. And one of the strengths of our system, which we need to take advantage of, is these inspector generals as well as the Freedom of Information Act. So the ACLU and other groups have used the Freedom of Information Act to try to unearth uh, in the face of privacy uh, or secrecy demands as much information as we can. But I think any listener will give credence if the Justice Department's own inspector general is cataloging and detailing the widespread misuse of this kind of information gathering. There are something called National Security Letters, NSLs, which are just letters. No court is asked to issue a subpoena, uh, to issue a notice of production. These are simply letters sent out uh, by the FBI to demand uh, from private telecommunication companies, credit and financial information uh, agencies, private information about companies and uh, individuals. These NSA letters are just widespread, and their abuse has been documented by uh, the government itself. They have found that often these are issued improperly, that uh, information that is not relevant to an intelligence investigation is being gathered. They're not being cleansed and purged. And as we sit here, our information and the information of your listeners and others uh, is being gathered with no discernible benefit because the inspector generals did a study of 150,000 uh, national security letters just from 03 to 05 and found that only one conviction in a terrorism case was based on that data and that there was no instance in which a national security letter helped uh, prevent any actual terrorist plot. So the balance you talked about earlier, uh, as if we are getting something in return for this vast uh, data mining and data collection, is a myth. And that's why some in Congress are beginning to warn us uh, of these uh, abuses. Uh, fortunately, uh, Senators uh, Wyden, uh, Ron Wyden and Mark uh, Udell have been saying that innocent Americans are getting swept up uh, in this data collection. Yes. And, you know, when you were talking about these national security letters, I think what's really frightening is that they're sending these letters that people are responding to because they're afraid, and there is no probable cause. There is, there's no warrant issued for this information that they're asking, right? Right. They're just giving it. And, and that goes incongruent with our Fourth Amendment, right? Exactly. Imagine opening your mail today, home or office, uh, FBI stationery. You are ordered uh, to release information. And perhaps worse, 
your telephone company uh, or uh, your bank uh, or another institution, and unbelievably, the letter says, do not disclose this letter to any third party. Right. So the bank, financial institution, telecommunications company uh, is not even allowed to tell you it's happening, so perhaps you could object to it. There was even an issue a few years ago if if anyone could uh, call their lawyer without violating the letter because the lawyer is a third party. Uh, That got clarified in one small bit of, of reform. But these this is the kind, and the ACLU has called this a national surveillance society. We are moving so much closer and closer to uh, the kind of 1984 police state that that none of us believed uh, American society could become. And um, I think it does call for a strong... Uh, public uh, expressions of outrage, of opposition, uh, of opposing uh, the companies we deal with, the vendors and and others uh, who claim uh, to protect our privacy. But in many cases, in the case of AT&T... Yeah, I was just going to bring that one up. Yeah. Why don't you tell us that one? Yeah. Now, in that one with the AT&T, what, when there was a lawsuit after them for giving all that information, didn't the government say that they had immunity? Yes. They built a separate room up in San Francisco as an adjunct to the AT&T Communications Center. And we only know this because a whistleblower who left the company was willing, courageously, uh, to step forward and to give an affidavit uh, documenting how uh, AT&T, and they weren't alone in this, and other telecommunications companies were actively uh, tapping into and immediately transferring these uh, messages uh, to the government. Uh, The ACLU tried to uh, sue uh, the private companies on a theory that they were violating um, their privacy policies, and right? Stuff. And yeah, the uh-huh. state um, utilities uh, commission regulations, right? Right. And that's and they invoked immunity. They invoked the state secrets doctrine that I mentioned a moment ago, and when we could get nowhere, so uh, the government has created a box in which, as best as we can tell. They are certainly abusing and violating the law. And then the normal methods that a free society, the press, lawsuits, uh, public awareness, is clamped down or eliminated. And and it's a terrible uh, combination of abuse and secrecy, which in my view becomes the new normal, because... Privacy, as I'm sure you've discussed, is based eventually on the expectations of privacy. And many of the Supreme Court cases have used that standard. Now, we used to think that was a nice standard, that it meant that we expect things to be private, and, and that sets the standard. But as we have sweeping intrusions... Are, uh, the expectations are reduced, the new normal is reduced, 
And uh, I fear that uh, courts in other areas outside of uh, national security and terrorism uh, will begin to apply much lower standards of privacy protection. You know, Stephen, when you were talking before about the Freedom of Information Act, I've seen many of these cases where, you know, like the ACLU or whomever would would do a Freedom of Information Act request, and it would be denied by the courts. And so not only are you talking about that you can't get, you know, any help from the courts with regard to these lawsuits that are dismissed, or the immunity is applied for these companies to protect them so that's that the government is protected. But then you can't even get this information from Freedom of Information Act. You know, I was thinking, you know, I don't know if if lawsuits are really the answer. I'm looking at thinking about how things are changing in this world so quickly, how the young people don't read the newspaper, right? I mean, they're doing everything on their Facebook and on online. And I'm thinking as this, the generations, generations are changing and we see what causes a big movement, uh, a big response, it's all on the Internet. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So maybe we need to think differently, even like if we looked in at what happened in the Arab states and that guy who, you know, unfortunately killed himself. Look at what a huge tremendous wave started all over the Middle East, or or if we look at, you know, even in our country, what is causing the changes? It's really where the the people are, are connecting in social networks. Well, I think you're right. And I have a um, interdisciplinary, multi-layered approach to important public policy issues. I don't think there's ever one answer or one vehicle or one method. I think over on one side, uh, you need public interest law firms to be pursuing litigation. Yes. Uh, Much of the great successes in the civil rights movement and in other movements has come through the use of litigation. Yeah, but but also you have someone like Rosa Parks, who refused to give up her seat to a white guy, which started a huge... Exactly. You know, so you're right. It has to be more than one thing, yeah. Right, so we've got... But I don't want to diminish or isolate or remove uh, impact litigation because it has been powerful and can be. But it's hardly uh, the be-all and the end-all. And I love the point you're making that, frankly, in the long run, in a democracy, it is an informed citizenry. It is people who've actually paid attention in high school, college, elsewhere, uh, to uh, the history we talked about before, to the importance of constitutional rights, to the notion that we, our ideal is a country in which people enjoy privacy and government is open. We, in the last 10 years, have reversed that model now government is in secret, and people's privacy is being opened to government intrusion. It's exactly the opposite. If you stopped 100 people on the street, I think they would value their privacy, their freedom from government intrusion, their right to be let alone, as Justice Brandeis said uh, that those are values, and therefore we have to make the linkages. 
Uh, I think young people, uh, I don't think we should um, be adverse to um, the Internet, to uh, social networking. To... Yeah, we got to use everything we can. Yeah, those are tools. Yeah. And I think that uh, we have to be more nimble and effective in digesting and translating what might seem like uh, cumbersome or or arcane uh, questions, the kinds uh, of privacy, uh, national security letters, this and that that you and I have been talking about in detail. I do think young people will understand it. Um, and I that's why we we're on to, the campus here, yeah. Right, and I think we have to confront um, what level of privacy, uh, and it maybe is for another day, but this question of, are young people habituating themselves to uh, exposing their personal lives on Facebook, uh, not aware that that stuff in, is in the cloud, that yep. it can be uh, saved and uh, can come back to haunt them in job applications and uh, yep. elsewhere. And we are just out of time right now, so... I will have to have you back again, Stephen. You are wonderful. Stephen Rohde, brilliant man on on the First Amendment rights and privacy, and we thank you so much for joining us. And why don't you just give your website real quick? Well, this has been a delightful conversation. My law firm is at www.rohde-victoroff.com. Uh, and you can uh, search me on the Internet and my books as well. But I'm just uh, thrilled what you're doing, and I wish you all the best. Well, we'll have you back again, Stephen, and you take care, all right? Thank you. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for Privacy Piracy and visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy and stay private and safe. Bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.